Don't you love it when a plan comes together? Um, I've asked upstairs if they could put a slide on screen. Pastor's Sermon Sunday. Your destiny. Um, they asked me to prepare for this talk back in the 1st of March. And before I get started, I just wanted to say I've been in Texas for a few weeks, and uh, there's about five people here I don't know. So <laughs> I'm really anxious to get to know and meet some of you. What day of the year is this? Does anybody know? It's the 100th day of 2019. How are you doing in your breakthrough? Well, Pastor talked about destiny. And I'm going to ask you to do something in this because today, it's more than destiny, is more than a destination. It's more than a place we're going to. And, and I loved it when a plan comes together because as Pastor preached Sunday, I realized the topic I was meditating on and thinking about was your destiny is more than a place. It's a relationship. Your, de your, your destiny of what God really intends for you is intimacy. Intimacy with Him. Closeness to Him. And as an exercise at the end of this talk, going to ask for you to help participate in this, if you're willing. You don't have to talk, but I'm going to ask you to pair up with some people and actually talk about your intimacy with God. Are you willing to do that? The questions I will ask you can be thinking about is how would you describe your personal intimacy with God? How would you describe that? Would you say it's more casual? Or would you say it's intimate? And I think the last time I talked in this group, I talked about this in a way, if a person were to fall in love and actually decide to get married, and at the altar, when they say the vows, how close and how intimate do you think that person would become to their mate if they said, every Sunday I promise to talk to you. I will visit with you on Sunday and Wednesday. But the rest of the week, I really want to I've got things I need to do. You know, I've got activities I need to take care of. It seems foolish, doesn't it, to even talk in terms like this? Because we all know intimacy will not develop that way. Intimacy does, de demands communication. It demands involvement in the other life. And if you or anyone else you know that are claiming to be Christian are this way in their intimacy with God. You're only fooling yourself. Intimacy with God is something that is paramount to God. He desires it more than you do. And 
this exercise that I'm going to ask you to do, these two questions, how would you describe your personal intimacy with God? Is it casual, or do you feel more intimate now? And the second question, what would you do to improve your personal intimacy with God? I want to give you a reminder of several times when I've had the opportunity to preach. I've had this exercise. I called Billy Gallier last night. And I don't remember the topic of my message on that particular night where we broke apart and we met one-to-one and shared with one another. But on that particular night, Billy Gallier paired up with Glenn McDonald on the very last day of his life. Now, Billy didn't know this, and I'm sure Glenn didn't know it either, but they were able to talk to one another about spiritual matters, spiritual concerns. The next Sunday, Billy Gallier came up to me and grabbed my shirt with tears in his eyes thanking me that we had this exercise. Glenn McDonald was a much younger man than him. But they were able to talk about spiritual matters and how personal that was to them. And Billy told me that I'll never be the same. And I'm thinking, in your journey, God forbid that that's going to happen tonight. (laughs) Oh, Lord, no. But I'm just saying... We never know. God numbers our days. And my wife and I, eight days ago, celebrated our 54th wedding anniversary. Well, I do need to confess, when we came back from Dallas, I had a counseling session with Pastor, my wife and I. And our intimacy level after 54 years has jumped tenfold. Thank you, Pastor. I'll give you credit for that. I'm serious, though. I've been married 54 years with the same person. I'm in love. But now I'm really in love. I want to tell you something. In your depth of your intimacy with God himself, it should be this way. In fact, let me give you a definition of one word. And I've said this before. You know the word worship is something. And I've got to say this to the praise team. I never heard that song, but thank you. That uh, last song that y'all sang, a Surrender. Uh, and, and the word worship, when you look this up, and you can look this up in a Strong's Dictionary, there's actually two Greek words that are put together. Strong says the first, it, well, the whole word is proskuneu. Can everybody say that? Proskuneu. Proskuneo is that every time it's used in the New Testament, they translate it into English as worship. What do you feel when you worship God? How close are you in intimacy with God in worship? I know our church is a very expressive church. It's a Pentecostal church, and that's good. But in your worship, how intimate are you feeling with God? And would, how would you even define worship? Because if you were to define worship... In the Greek sense, in the Greek word proskuneu, here's what it means. You ready? Pros. Face to face. Breast to breast. 
hand in hand, pressing up against. Is that experience something that you experience when you worship God, whether it's in your home or whether it's here in this church? Because if your worship is something where, and believe me, I've caught myself thinking of tasks I need to do during that day, even here in church, I confess. But worship, real worship, according to that Greek word pros, is doing just that, of getting in God's lap face to face with God himself, breast to breast, hand in hand, and pressing up against God himself. Do you think if you ever experienced something like that, your life would change? Can I get an amen? That's half of the word, proskuneu. Kineu, Greek word, to kiss or lick intimately, much as a dog would lap the hand of a master. Is Christ your master? Have you ever experienced worship in that sense of proskuneu, where you've gotten face to face, breast to breast, hand in hand, pressing up against, and kissing and licking God himself and letting him give you a hug from heaven. I guarantee you, if you ever experienced that, when I experienced that for the first time, I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. God is good. God is so good. And he desires this intimacy with each of us. And pastor's message sat, uh, Sunday was he from the Psalm 139. He says, he, David is saying, you formed, and this is Psalm 139, 13 through 16. Psalm 139. For you, that's God, formed my inward parts. God did all this to you. He formed you. He formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. Today, in our America, we have people who are cheering after the baby's born, being able to murder the child. And they're saying this isn't a, a baby. I don't know how you can say that. The baby's outside of the mother and alive. And I hope to God that we will never stop preaching about this. And this is not women's right to your body. This is infanticide. I hope you agree with me on that. I was, in, I was in a trip home from South Florida, and I heard this. It was a group in New York when the governor made this announcement over the airwaves, and there was an applause and cheering. I'm, I'm speechless. Moses, uh, Moses time. Pharaoh killed babies. God sent Moses to do something about it. Didn't he? In, in Jesus' time, Herod killed babies. God sent Jesus to do something about it, didn't he? When Hitler was here, he was killing not just babies, but Jews, but killing babies. 
And God sent the American and the Allied forces to do something about it. Now, in America, we're killing babies. I can assure you, Jesus is going to do something about it. We are at a time in history that could be the brightest for you ever. You're living in a time where God created you to be alive now. And he wants you in this dark hour to hold the candle as high as you can that people can see the brightness of the light of the truth of God because this is true. Paul goes on to say, I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame wasn't hidden from you. When I was being made in secret, intricately woven woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Now again, Pastor mentioned this doctrine of predestination Sunday. How many were here Sunday? Those that weren't here, and even those that were, I think it would be good. Pastor, I think this is on the Internet. It's already loaded. You can go to the website. What is it, Pastor? First, F-I-R-S-T-A-G, C-C, dot org. Firstagcc.org. Go to the media section, drop down menu. You can listen to any message, but in particular Sunday's message where Pastor is talking about this. And he mentioned this doctrine of predestination. This is an old thing. He didn't want to get into it. Neither do I. But I want to tell you something. I really know because God is God. He knows this. Just as David said, your eyes saw my unformed substance, and your book were written, every one of them, the days were, that were formed for me, when there was yet none of them. God is God. And being omniscient, that means he knows everything. He's going to know whether you're going to choose to follow him or not. He doesn't stop loving you any less if you choose not to. And neither can you make him love you more because he's always loved you completely and purely. But I do not see how it would be any way possible for God to set and design and create a person creating them to go to hell. I, I, I think John 3.16 would be meaningless. I don't think it would be even real if God would be that sense of a creator that he could go ahead and predestine someone from birth. Well, I already know. There's nothing you can do. They're going to hell. Neither do I think it's right for someone to think, there's nothing I can do about it. I'm destined to be saved. I'm going to heaven. This, this, this intimacy that God desires, that is your destiny, God. This intimacy that God is desiring from you is one that develops over a journey that we call life. You're involved in it. You're in this. And the connection, the purity of connection that you have with God 
is all based upon your heart's desire for it. In fact, if you want to know the truth, I taught uh, Celebrate Recovery for about five years in another church. And one of the steps in Celebrate Recovery was they took the eight B attitudes and made it into a recovery program. It's amazing thing about those Beatitudes. If you take any of the Beatitudes, at the very beginning of the Beatitudes, each one of them, it gives you a mirror that you hold up and you actually see yourself. The second half of every one of the Beatitudes gives a reflection of what God really desiring for you to be and how you are to become that. The one as far as if you blessed are the pure in heart. Does anybody know what God says? You'll see God. If you want intimacy with God, and that's your destiny. Your destiny is intimacy with God himself. If you are desiring that, the pure in heart will see God. And when you see God, you see not only God, you begin to see yourself the way God created you. Pastor mentioned Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for your welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. It is a future and a hope that you can bank on, that you can depend on. But that future and a hope is built on intimacy with God developed through your lifetime. Through trusting Him. Through taking steps of faith. Through walking this out in real life. Through seeing difficulties and still believing and holding on to the living, resurrected Jesus. He will walk with you. If anybody doubts, if anybody were to doubt, this desire for intimacy. Let me read you a passage out of the Lord's Prayer. I'm not talking about the prayer that many of us recite and remember. The Lord's Prayer, the real Lord's Prayer, is found in John 17. In John 17, Christ poured his heart out. His one concern was what? One? His one prayer for you and I was oneness. Oneness. Let me just read some of this. Jesus' words. If you're, in a, if you're in a red version, all these words are red. I do not ask for these only, talking about his disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be, say it, one. And I want to say this. In this mystery, it's not math. The oneness that Christ himself felt because he was in the Trinity. He's part of the Trinity. You have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But they're not three gods. They're one. And this oneness that God has, this oneness that Jesus had, he is praying for you and I to have this same oneness. It is not math. Like you would say, one plus one equals one. That's what he's saying. 
Have you, have you begun to experience this in your own walk in Jesus' life in you? Jesus' life transforming you. Jesus' life changing your thinking to where his thoughts are in you now. This is, this is his prayer. I do not ask for these only, but for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you. That they also may be in us, one plus one. That's reality. That is reality. And that's the sincere heart of your Father in heaven when he created your life to begin with. He saw all your days before they were born. In the book, they're all written down. He knows, not because he's going to predestine you to become some person that you feel trapped and unable to get out of. But his love for you has been before time began. How could you, how could anyone not fall head over heels in love? And again, going back to this illustration earlier, it would be so silly for two people to get married at the altar and look at one another and say, well, I'll see you next Sunday. And I know I'm preaching to the choir here. You are following this. But I'm wanting you to look tonight at the depth of how you are going in this. The song we just sang of surrender is the key to discovering the reality of this. And it's not that you're giving up anything. You're gaining everything. Going back to those Beatitudes, if you take each one of those eight Beatitudes, and I'm not going in here, but I'm telling you, you need to study those Beatitudes. Because every single one of them, if you take the first part of it and look at it, you'll see and reveal what God's showing you. The mirror is being held up. The last half of it is what God's wanting you to experience. He's not withholding anything from any one of you. He's wanting to give you everything. He's not withheld anything. He's open, and he's not excluding anyone who desires this. But it takes a desire, doesn't it? You've got to want it. My question is, how desperately are you wanting it? In Philippians 3.10, Paul talks about, my determined purpose is to know him. Paul made it a determination, even though at one time he was an enemy of the cross. He hated Christians. He was set out to do anything he could to destroy this so-called sect uh, from the earth and stamp it out. But that the resurrected Christ I know confronted Paul on that road to Damascus, and Paul was never the same. Saul, excuse me, Saul was never the same. Why? 
because his determined purpose was to know him. Once he got knocked off his horse, have you been knocked off your horse? I mean, uh, so, oh, forgive me. So many times I feel like I've had that too before experience so many times I just don't want another one. Have you been there? Oh, God, help me to see. This is his prayer. You're in me. And I in you. They also may be in us. So that, going on in John 17, 20 through 23. So that they may also be in us. So that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory you've given me, I have given to them. Another aside here, uh, the Greek, uh, the Hebrew word for glory is weight. It's like we used to say when I was a teenager, that's heavy. This is really heavy. The glory. The glory. you've given to me, I have given to them. He's already given it, dear friends. Are you receiving it? The glory I have given to them that they may be one, one, plus one is one. Get that? That they may be one, even as we are one, I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one. He goes it even farther. Is are you getting a, a a savoring for this? Are you getting what we say? South hungry? Are you really getting hungry for this? I think we're at a breakthrough here. We're 100 days into this year. I think we're at a breakthrough, but it comes to those who are hungry so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. I will give you something. Do you want to know the truth? You really want to know the truth. From Jesus himself. I know you've heard this before in John 18, 37 and 38, where Pilate is saying to him, so you're really a king. And Jesus gives this response. But he says, Pilate says, what is truth? I mean, have not heard that. Has anybody not heard that? You have not heard that? Okay. Everybody's heard that. Does anybody know what Jesus said to Pilate just before Pilate said, what is truth? You can read it in John 18, 37 and 38. Jesus says this. 
you say, I am a king. For this purpose, I was born. And for this purpose, I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. That is when Pilate says, what is truth? Are you listening? He is speaking. And finally, for those that may be a little bit uncomfortable about this closeness, this intimacy of how do I work this, I just want to give a final verse here out of Romans 5. 5. If you really desire this, this is what Paul is saying in Romans 5. 5. And hope does not put us to shame. God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. This is the word that God gave me to speak. And Pastor, again, thank you for giving me the opportunity to preach on this time. It, it was so neat because I was originally scheduled to do the first Wednesday of the month. And I don't remember what Amanda needed to change, but I just she said, can you take another Wednesday? And when you preached Sunday, I thought, gosh, I love it when God brings a plan together. <laughs> I feel like a tag team, <laughs> but it's been good. Has it been good? Would you, would, it, would you help me? In the next 10 minutes, I'd like you to please... Pair up with someone. I know I know. when Glenn and uh, Billy got together, they kind of watched people around because I don't think they really felt like they belonged as together. As he was a young man, and I'm not saying Billy's an old guy. Hey. <laughs> uh, at this point, I would like you to pair up with somebody, or maybe threesome or whatever, and then I would like you to talk to one another on this question of intimacy. I'll repeat these questions and we'll come back in just 10 minutes and have some fill-in time if, you, if anybody wants to share this. But how would you describe your personal intimacy with God? That's being vulnerable. I know. If you don't want to talk, I give you permission not to talk. Does that take the pressure off? If you don't want to talk, just sit there and listen. But the question is, how would you describe your personal intimacy with God is it casual, or would you describe it as being more intimate, and how it's more intimate? And the second question, what could you do to improve, to improve your personal intimacy with God? I'll give you 10 minutes.